0: Whips and chains, leather and lube. That's the sort of image most people get when they hear the phrase BDSM. And it's not wrong. But I'd be willing to bet you never actually talked to professionals from this community. The BDSM lifestyle is just that. A lifestyle. And it's not something you should be ashamed of or unwilling to listen to. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie, and this one is not for children. Shield their tiny ears! My guests today are Slave Karma and Master Joshua. Karma Said was once a conservative reporter infiltrating Master Joshua's collective to write a scathing article. Instead, what she found was freedom and a new sense of identity. They are both here to discuss the pleasures and pitfalls that come with choosing a non-traditional route of exploration with your partner or with others. Breaking the fourth wall a bit today. These two are absolute champs because we did this interview, had really cool stories, and then lost the entire recording. And they still decided to come back just so we could do this episode for you, the audience. I'm so happy they came back and gave it another go. I'm still always going to be sad that we lost some of the great stuff from the first interview, but what we did here really ultimately is awesome and i'm so happy that we could do it and i hope everyone gets to enjoy it as much as i did both times let's get kinky welcome to the show slave karma and her master joshua (laughs) that's
1: an ongoing joke uh when the book was gonna come out uh she said one day they're gonna be like oh it's slave karma and her master
2: because everybody knows him but i've been in the closet for four years
1: yeah no that's great yeah it's fun
2: it's fun he made it happen i I thank you for that (laughs) master joshua
0: (laughs) yeah thank you so much for being on the show uh why don't you introduce yourselves for the audience.
1: So my name is Master Joshua. I'm sorry, my name is Joshua. I'm also known as Master Joshua in the BDSM and leather community. Uh, I've been doing professional domination and non-traditional sexual behavior counseling for about a decade. Uh, I produce events and uh, educational learning experiences. We also do uh, media production around storytelling and witnessing folks' life.
2: My name is Karma. I am Master Joshua's sex slave. I am uh, the author of uh, "Surviving Master Joshua: The BDSM Memoir of an Unfaithful Wife," and I am also a kink reporter and publisher these days.
0: <laughs> and quite the the history of of titles between the two of you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we miss uh, uh, World Savior and uh, Gandhi. Otherwise, we got it off. <laughs> <all. laughs>
0: that's awesome so let's just start real simple what is bdsm so uh bdsm stands for
1: bondage and discipline uh dominant and submissive sadism and masochism right so it's an acronym uh, among all those words and for different people it means different things on a level of different things and for us it's our process of relationship connection and communication. Uh, And by that, what I mean is in order for us to be able to explore parts of ourselves that we carry shame around, we have to be comfortable talking about. And when you create the environment of safety, you bond and you connect and you are validated and affirmed, right? So BDSM for me and the way we operate is uh, it's about personal development and spiritual growth through integrity, right?
0: That's awesome. And it it sounds like, you know, there's quite a, a give and take there. Like there has to be two sides to this or it just doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. To the degree of it being successful and as least traumatic as possible. Yes. (laughs) You know, and I say trauma because it's to pretend like we aren't living lives of trauma and trauma is such a word that gets thrown around a lot, but there are things that happen within these journeys within our lives that are very shaky right so it's uh it's pretty it's pretty incredible to to be able to evolve and mature through these processes
2: it's it's definitely not what people think about when they hear the words bdsm it's not what i thought bdsm was when i first began investigating the scene it has a lot must it, it comes with such a uh, sort of a, mean and forceful and sort of like uh, almost like semi-criminal uh, halo to it like I beat women up Ha <laughs> 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 uh, it's 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 very tender really it's very caring and that is not something you usually see on the on the label
0: yeah I think that's something we kind of get exposed to BDSM by you know whatever Hollywood wants to show us and most of the time, that is just like the quick glimpse into a side room where someone is like, you know, chained up and blindfolded and another person just is standing there with a whip.
2: <laughs> it's not mean and it's not entirely <laughs>
0: sexual
2: either. I mean, it's not it's not as uh, I mean, it, it's like a real carnival, right? The image that we, we get, it's so uh, costumes and uh, it's all about the the risque aspect of it. But uh, it is just another way for people to interact with each other on a deep level that uh, is not just not available on a on a daily life basis or within normal roles.
0: Yeah, and it seems like it's a different way to show affection to each other. And the way you've described it is you're like, this is just a non-conventional way we have found to show that we care. Yeah. Yeah. Like
1: uh, there's BDSM and then there's the phrase NTSB, which is a a phrase that uh, was coined by a friend of mine, uh, Stephen Cowart up north, who's a psychologist. And the idea is to remove the stigma and the fear of, you know, whips and chains and leather, right. By just changing the terminology to non-traditional sexual behavior, because essentially that's what it is to a degree, right. It's out of the norm, energy exchange, sexual engagement. Uh, and not necessarily sex, sexual, in the act, but it could be in essence. It could
0: be in energy and space and perspective. Sure. How did each of you kind of find your ways into this?
2: Well, uh, four years ago, I was uh, I was a writer, uh, journalist for a. Uh, Reputable conservative outlet, which I cannot name, and I was doing research on a color story that had to do with religious people and kink. And um, a friend from work pointed me in uh, the direction of Joshua's then partner, and uh, they invited me to a uh, BDSM party so I can uh, research. <laughs> I came to the BDSM party, and what uh, it spoke to me on a level that was way more personal than uh, a a story. So I crossed that line from observer to participant um, pretty early on. And then, uh, well, all lines were crossed. Something I did not mention in the introduction, but is clear from the name of the book, is that uh, I'm married, I have kids, and this was not supposed to happen. (laughs) This whole... um, Lifestyle changed. I was not supposed to be another man's sex life when I was writing that story but I was the the lifestyle really drew me and uh, Master Joshua drew me as a both as a mentor and a friend and and as somebody who I had strong feelings too so I followed him into this lifestyle until we found our way to correct that initial uh, mistake of I mean, of being an unfaithful wife (laughs) to do so. And uh, that's how this all came about for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that's all Karma said.
2: Oh,
1: (laughs) So the book is called Surviving Master Joshua, the BDSM memoir of an unfaithful wife, right? And uh, (laughs) I I started professional domination about a decade ago. Uh, BDSM has helped me learn how to empower myself through introspection and and making decisions that are true and right. Right. Um, And by that, I mean, doing what's right. But this has been a progression of experience and journey like karma has been one of my most one of the biggest catalysts in my life through the level of accountability that I have to her. Right. Um, Even though there is a, a power exchange, a master slave relationship, it's not what people think, right? For me, it's a lead and follow, right? And my intention is to make her the best version of herself that she can be for her husband, for her children, for her family, for her friends, for her passion, right? And in return, she supports me in all of my endeavors. And when I'm stumbling, she supports me. And when I fuck up, she makes me correct myself, right? Because as a leader, as the master, as the dom, there's no one who's closer to me than my slaves, right? And it's like the level of responsibility I have to them, I have to be held accountable to making sure I walk the walk and I talk the talk, right? That I'm walking the talk, essentially.
2: That's hard to walk any tongue like that. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and when we met, it was through friendship, right? Through guidance, I she was hungry to learn and I love teaching, right? I love to show people the potential that this lifestyle can lead. Where I misstepped was I tried to circumvent morality with ethics, right? And by that, I mean her and her relationship status. Ethically speaking, I need the consent of one person and it's her, right? Her choices, no, her choices, her fallout, right? But that's not the right thing to do. Morally is I have to make sure everyone is on the on the same page and I misstepped, right? And what I realized through the relationship is in order for any relationship to flourish, it has to be built on a solid foundation. And that's heavily seen in the book and then discussed on the back end, I believe, around the importance of righting our wrongs and making sure that we are doing the best that we can in the lifetime that we have
2: there's a, a very there's a place where you know what that you want something and you know it goes against the rules or it goes against the expectation it goes against what you're supposed to be doing and so that's where i feel gross comes from my growth came from is the way you try to deal with that conflict is is how you grow because you can deal with it by kind of stealing uh, what you want by kind of, you know, grabbing for it and hiding it and making it happen under the, you can, you can give up what you want because it contradicts the right thing. And then you're not growing. You can steal what you want and you can, and you'll have what you want, but then you're not growing. The only way to grow is make what you want the right thing by following the principles that you know are right
1: essentially yeah. it says don't be a dick right be a kind person and tell the truth <laughs> right?
2: and it took a whole book to get that
0: <laughs> seems to take some people a whole lifetime to understand not to be a dick
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: <laughs> yeah use it but don't be it <laughs> <laughs> right
0: but you touched on a lot of important things there and one of those was just like you kind of stumbled into this relationship and you were just going with what you felt was you know you wanted and you had to correct some of that after the fact how did that all work out
2: hmm. um is i'll that, start from that, the is
1: that the part that's in the book <laughs> Right. It's, it's it's a it's a really important part to the story on how do you right the wrong yeah.
2: sure here's the thing i am still married and I still have my kids and I'm living with my husband and uh, he knows I'm here and he knows what I'm doing. And uh, our, what all our relationships are right now, fully consensual and agreed. And uh, there's one principle that I now follow uh, as religiously as I can follow anything. And it's like there's no lies. All right, we, we deal. The truth is unpleasant sometimes. We deal with it as it is, and we change because it's it's lying is where stuff veers from a path of of living correctly. Like I feel like you can do anything you want, you can be anybody who you want to be. There's no wrongs. The only wrong is being dishonest about it.
1: Yeah, it's like because what that makes me think is consistent truth right, the minute you deviate, and it's not lying, it's truthfulness, right, because mm-hmm. you can omit and not necessarily lie, right, but it's not truth, and <laughs> she held my feet to that fire once, right? <laughs> so it's like consistent truth, if, if that's not present, doubt is present, right, and I don't, I, we can't afford doubt, right, when we're talking about life and, and making moves to achieve our goals and passion, right, we, you can but it doesn't do anyone any justice.
2: It'll trip you up if you're taking, if you're taking risks, right? And you have doubt, it's kind of like trying to erase. How do you call that race when you jump over stuff? Oh, hurdles. Yeah, it's, it's like going through a hurdle, hurdle race with a bag of rocks on your back, right? It's gonna trip you up, it's gonna pull you down. You, you can't do it because you need to be fully confident in yourself to make moves, like publish a book that it says uh, the BDSM Memoir of an Unfaithful Wife. Uh, <laughs> yes. You have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, yes, I did. <laughs> I am. And I'm living a life that uh, stems from it. And I'm standing behind it.
0: And I have to imagine there is a fair amount of pushback that you got both in writing this and in talking about it.
1: Uh, all things considered, I think the biggest concern is to make sure that everyone has their identity respected, privacy respected, uh, because the intention behind the book isn't about, Ooh, look at what we did. It's like, look at what we did. (laughs) Right. And, and how can you learn from this and how can you be validated in the mistakes that you've made in life and the choices you've made. So this isn't really a book of bragging. Uh, This is the book of hope Right, that you Thank can you. go through this process and come out on the other side, not unscathed, but bigger, right? Because I don't want a knight in shining armor, they haven't been in battle, right? <laughs> I want my guy to come all fucking dinged up and shit, you or know, my knight to come all dinged up and stuff, right? It's like, okay, they know how to throw down,
0: <laughs> right? They've, they've been through it and they made it out the other side, yeah, yeah. So, as part of that, you know, you have, like you said, you're married. You also have Master Joshua. Is there like a specific title or phrase that you use when you describe your relationships?
2: Well, my husband is my husband uh, and um, my master is my master. And uh, if if we describe the relationship with one, I use it as my, uh, just my husband. And my master is a power dynamic, right? So it's, uh, it refers to the, the give and take between us, the roles we play towards each other. And uh, that would be the terminology I use.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like the the phrase uh, sex slave is relatively newish, right? And the idea behind that is it's not derogatory, demeaning in any way. Uh, what it actually is, because in a lot of these types of relationships, right? The dominant, whenever they ask, well, what do you get out of? Right now, while sex sounds like, oh my God, sex, right? It, it is to the degree that it fills my cup to be able to express and be myself uninhibited with someone who can respect and hold the space for me so that I don't feel wrong for who I am. That's the space that karma holds for me is allowing me to be who I, who I want to be sexually. Right. And that that's not an easy feat. Right. There's a lot of there's a lot of life, politics, shame, history, religion, whatever we throw in there. There's a lot that prohibits folks from really being able to stretch out that stride with someone who they respect and they love and they cherish. Saying sex slave is much grander than sex slave. Right. It's like it's not. Porn. Right. But she she gives me permission. Yeah. 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 Please, please.
2: Um, I think it came about because um, I noticed after the book, before the book came out, uh, it, our relationship was kind of like a, a private, I never spoke up publicly, I never made uh, my presence known in a public way because the, I didn't want to, I had no reason to, but once the book came out and I needed to promote it and talk about it, I started introducing myself as slave. And I noticed that it, it made me cringe a little bit every time when I said uh, slave, because while I'm happy to be Master Joshua's slave, something about the word itself is derogatory and has a derogatory history. Right. And when p- other people said, oh, slave karma, uh, my inner reaction was like, don't call me slave. <laughs> like I am. I'm nobody's slave. I'm I'm a strong woman. Nobody can, you know, I'm his slave because that's the term we chose for each other. But I didn't like it when other people called me slave, and I felt uncomfortable. However, when I added the word sex slave, suddenly the whole feel—it's all rainbows and uh, and uh, chirping birds around it now. Like it's—it made me happy when I heard the sound of sex slave. I was like, yeah, that's who I am because this is—that's the kind of of enslavement that I am my whole that is nothing derogatory to me that is my pursuit in life
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's one of those that's like you know if you looked at a way different connotation when people are like slave you don't necessarily think trust but in this relationship you know as you said trust is so key to what you do because no matter you know if you're dominant or submissive or Giving or taking like you have to have trust in what you do or the whole thing is just like a tense bad experience yeah
1: yeah trust is paramount
2: and it's true what you say I mean when you're no I I was uh lucky enough to fall into Master Joshua's arms the moment I opened the door but um from the few times I tried to play with other men, the feeling of uh, just the overall tense and fear and, 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 and insecurity and, and, and just, I, I could not have, I wanted, to, I always, I can't do it. I never could uh, because it's so scary to do it with somebody who you don't know and don't trust.
0: And I could see that because, you know, the things you're doing, it's like there might be apprehension like, oh, I'm a little scared of what's going to happen if they either don't know what they're doing or I don't know what they're about to do. That's hard to to just like jump into.
1: Yeah, yeah. Being able to shut off your mind is uh, that takes investment right? Or uh, at least if a person's really good where you can develop trust in a short period of time to allow yourself to shut your mind off, that's the great thing, but it's not easy, right? That takes a lot of years of uh, just holding space for people.
0: Yeah, so does each person kind of naturally fall into one of the two categories where they are either dominant or submissive?
1: Uh, I, that's a good question, actually, and I want to say yes to the degree that chemistry dictates, right? Now, what we choose to do with chemistry changes as well cuz like you have folks who insecurities won't allow them to feel vulnerable so they have to be dominant and i, I would never bottom because i'm the, i'm the dominus dom right and what that is is listen dude you have stuff you're afraid to talk about and afraid to share and that's cool right we all have things that we don't we don't want to give our heart away to being stabbed because life is difficult like okay? that but putting in the introspective work and coming to terms that we all fall on a spectrum, right? How you and I connect, one of us would be more dominant than the other naturally, right? And it's like finding what the chemistry is and embracing the role that we play, that we have in that chemistry uh, is important. Now, not to say if you're submissive, if you feel submissive, you just give it all away. It's like, Perhaps the leadership is earned, the trust is earned, right? Uh, let the let people invest into getting to know each other first, and allowing to see how that power exchange falls into place. Because everyone has someone who's in charge of them, or they're in charge of to some degree, right? You have a boss, you have the government, you have children, you have family, right? There's always a power exchange in some of these relate in most every relationship, but the trust building. And the time spent connecting matters, right? Because also while I'm the dominant, while I'm the master here, rest assured, she does things to me sexually that people would be like, what the fuck, (laughs) (laughs) right? They're like, master of what, dude? She's elbow deep in your butt, right? And (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, cause we all need vulnerability. We all want to feel safe and sexy and held and important. Right. So that doesn't have anything to do with power. I think that just has to do with humanity.
0: Yeah, it's like you said, you know, you can be dominant and it doesn't necessarily mean like you're always the one doing everything in in your relationship. It just means like you are leading or rather that means like you're leading someone to do something to you or you're leading whatever you're doing to someone like it just generally in charge.
1: With, yeah, with that in mind, like I have no issues turning the steering wheel over to the smarter one, <laughs> right? It's like, I'm not going to go write a story, right? I'm going to dictate it and ask her to write for me because she writes better than I do. So I, why would I want to drive the car if she's better at driving? Like if it was finances, if I'm the weaker one, <laughs> I'm not doing finances. I'm going to give that to the stronger one because it's, it's all about what's the best choice.
2: Exactly. I think the role of a leader does not necessarily come from uh, controlling or guiding or but rather seeing a picture of a, as a whole and being able to work with each of the people like being able to work with everybody within their own parameters to get us all to where we want to be and for all of us to be better off for it. So him being a dominant is not about uh, him having the dick, though. That's great. Um, it's not about him controlling me and telling me what to eat or what to wear or who to be with. It's more about me saying, hey, I have this situation in my life. What do you think I should do about it? Or even more so saying I have this situation and I have a barrier I can't cross and I need somebody from a who's standing two steps above me on the way to, to look at it and tell me what to do. And when I said, I can't do it, I'm too scared or I'm not, I can't because I'm not capable or I'm not talented enough or I'm not strong enough for that person to say, I'm, I'm the leader, go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because I have faith in you, right? Because I'm not going to make you do something I wouldn't I wouldn't do, right? And it's like, I, th- I think this is a, 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 like a gift of mine is <clears throat> when I see people, I engage with people at their almost the most maximum potential. Like, so when I, when I met her years ago, you, I, I could feel potential. I can see it. So it's like, I know that. Then I knew my time wasn't going to be wasted and that the attention was there. So it's like, let's plant the seed, let's water it and see where it goes. Right.
2: Here's, here's something about trust, right? I never, when I came to the, I wrote the book kind of like uh, as a journal or as a diary. And I always kind of, and I wished that I could publish it, but I to, to the very end did not believe that I could publish it because it's so, it's such an audacious move. It's so, um, there's so many things that were just impossible about it. Like, how am I going to face up to this? I'm going to have to, I mean, my husband knows about us but I would have to tell him look there's a book and I'm gonna tell everybody what I did <laughs> and, and it's gonna be out there and, and like how am I gonna to... I never thought I could and I just had this book and and a dream which I thought will always be a dream but then uh, uh, master Joshua came in and he said no we you're if you want to publish it you're gonna to have to publish it and I said, but I'm going to have to do this and this and this and this. And he was like, <laughs> good, do this and this and this and this. And you have to do it. <laughs> You're going to do it because I believe that you can. So I'm going to, this is my orders to you. And then you have to do it. And you believe, And I believe that because I believe in him and his leadership, I, I was able to make these steps.
1: Yeah. And it was, it was, uh, it was like an escalation of diving right at first it's like oh my god i can't jump into the three feet i said listen once you jump in you'll stand you'll be okay and then we jump in then we go to the deep end and then we go to the first diving board and it's like each step of this process was things we had to reflect on Uh, outcome potential uh fear right so we had to revisit numerous times but it's to make sure that we're going to move the marker as far as you want to move the marker right and all i need to hear you say is yes yes i want it we're going to do it <laughs> right
2: right and i kind of yeah i think in that in that uh aspect we're a uh, daredevil doer right? <laughs> because we, we keep moving each other's marker forward. So yeah. Like you know that could kill us uh let's give it a try <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it seems like a bit you just kind of inspire the other person to do something they are already capable of. Cause it was like you already know how to write. You were working as a reporter. You had all these skills, but you didn't really have, you know, the confidence or the belief in yourself that you could do it. And so in that case, you just needed somebody to be like, no, you can do this. I think you can do it. And I think you're going to do great. And it wasn't necessarily like you needed anything more than that. You just needed somebody to say, yeah, of course you can.
2: Well, I mean, think think about the steps that need to be taken from, oh, my God, I accidentally am having an affair with a dominant <laughs> to uh, I, wanna write I have know. a publishing company and I wrote my book and I'm publishing other people to think about it's not just you can do it. <laughs> it's yeah. more like let's uh, it's more like mapping your way across the world. Uh, it's, it's like discovering a new continent. Yeah,
1: because also a lot of it wasn't even... <laughs> Not, none of it was planned right it was like as the concepts grew avenues opened right ideas grew and that's that's what it would like it it, it just evolved it evolved over time right because the book was
0: initially a story
2: yeah it was initially an article an article uh, right <laughs> against him
0: <laughs> but it turned into you know the book that it is now and it really is like a a pro piece instead of, you know, like, man, look at how weird this is and how you, you know, you don't want to be a part of this. And now you're like, no, I'm a part of this. And I think, you know, does it advise that people get out and explore?
1: I think what it does, what we witnessed, it validates a lot of people's emotions when it comes to relationships and failing and succeeding and the fear around it right? Because all the feedback that I've heard is around the emotional attachment, people saying, I know, I know you, because <laughs> I felt what you felt in the book, right? It's kind of crazy how many people have, it's your story, tell
2: them. <laughs> uh, I can't tell it like him, because he's, a... I mean, yes, people have been, they they come up to me, and they talk to me, like, like, we're friends for a long time, and, I, and I'm taking it back, because they're like, I don't know you, but they do know me from the story because uh it it lays bare emotional situations where that everybody is uh experiences or has experienced with, but nobody um nobody feels comfortable talking about like yeah. cheating or like self harm or like uh you know suicidal issue you know situations where you're I don't know what to do anymore it. it it goes into very intimate stuff that people rarely report on. But I wrote it like a reporter, so was it? An, it was important to me to to just report from the field. I think that's the um, the part of it that most people are drawn to, because it's not it's not a kinky novel. <laughs> it, it doesn't uh, try to get to any kind of produce any kind of emotional. It's not there to to be a piece of art. It's there to report on this is what happens when you uh put yourself in this situation and this is how you can correct it, kind
0: of. Yeah, and in that way it's kind of very educational.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's uh it's a memoir, right? It's the real story. Uh it had to have been expanded in time, right? Because they the editor said too much happened in such a short period of time that there's no way that could have happened. But it's like in this journey for folks, it's like speed, it's like going downhill or uphill, downhill, because uphill slope. Going downhill, it just evolves and it un it just unwraps
2: itself. The best re- the best review I got was that it's an antidote to 50 shades. Because Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah that was yeah. by by a lifestyleist, by someone who's in the lifestyle and understands this stuff like they read and they were like wow this is what needs to be out there it's impactful
0: yeah because i mean 50 shades of gray came out and suddenly everyone was like oh look how look how kinky the world could be and that was just like where it left people that was it it was just like yeah there you go (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> they do that <laughs> oh look yeah. you can open their a woman's legs that wide okay interesting <laughs> i think what master joshua does on his when he interacts with people is for them uh and for him but it's 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 life-changing for them and there's always so surprised when it when when it ends up changing the, when it ends up touching who they are, right? When they, when, when they come in for some kind of uh, weirdo, twisted sexual experience, they were too ashamed to talk about, it. and they're like, "I just want to get it out of my system," and you know, just try it, and and they end up being like, "I feel like I found the part of me that was missing my entire life," and they're shocked about it all <laughs> the time, and I get to watch it from the sidelines and see that uh, what he does and what is in BDSM is just it's just a way to remove your your armor and be who you are in the company of other people who affirm who you are Mm. I'm not here to promote a book I'm here to promote a lifestyle because I want people to have that in their life I'm not saying go ahead buy a whip beat up your wife (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying if you have the pull, follow it, because it'll take you to a place you want to be.
0: Yeah, and it feels like each thing, BDSM can be so broad at certain points that it feels like each thing could be its own life learning experience that you're growing who you are, because it's like, oh, have you ever been tied up? And you're like, well, no. And it's like, okay, well, you're going you're gonna to learn something about yourself today.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, even in the
1: discussion of it, right? Because it's not, I'm going to tie you. The question would go, would go like, would you like to be tied up? Oh, I don't know if I'd like to be tied up. Well, think about it. Uh, I don't know if it'll make me feel safe or not. I'll feel vulnerable. Well, tell me more about that, right? So it allows you to process that. Or if the person says yes, and then you go and you start doing it slowly. And then if the person starts feeling a little uncomfortable, you stop and you check in. Well, what are you feeling? Do you need me to take you out? So it allows a person to process it and sit with, where am I? Who am I right here, right now? Right? Because sometimes it'll just bring up a memory from when you were a kid. And you're like, wait a second, that that's weird. I never saw playing cops and robbers and tying up my neighbor and putting him on the train tracks would lead me to bondage 30 <laughs> years later, right? But it's like, you start to see the trail of crumbs if you talk about it. So it's all the dialogue that gives the permissions to keep moving forward.
0: Yeah. And it makes me wonder how often are you being vulnerable with your partner? You know, how often do people just settle into something and they never like, they never try and learn that much more about their partner.
1: Yeah. That's like the standard. Like that's, that's the standard. And because no one taught us, right. No one taught us how to, what, what, is important, right? It's not the social markers, it's the successes, it's the joys, the pain, it's the emotions that we have, right? No one's taught us how to develop relationships. No one's taught us how to share our identity. No one's asked us questions about our identity to share, right? It's like, where are these spaces? Who taught taught us about sex, right? HBO and Robin Bird. (laughs) It's like, uh, so making these conversations okay to have is the first step people go their entire lives with that and it's it's uh we're trying to change that with the different mediums right with the book with the intensives with uh the blogs with you know whatever we can do to get information out there to let people know listen there's more to you and you know it you feel it you just gotta open the door
2: i'd say especially in marriages uh especially when it comes to marriage with kids, um, that willingness to be vulnerable, that search for the vulnerability is is often put on ice for more important things uh, or for more urgent things or for just day to day. And that's kind of how marriages start to die from the inside. When you stop looking for that open door of new things and, and just that feeling of connection and vulnerability and, total immersion that you get from sexual activity I think that marriage is a particularly vulnerable area of life for that and I think BDSM is a particularly excellent um, particularly impactful and useful way to overcome that malaise.
0: Yeah do you have advice you would give if there's someone out there now that just says like all right, I want to have this conversation with my partner about doing something, anything at all, that's that's different from their norm. Do you have an advice as to how they bring that up?
1: There's there's a lot of variables to that. Uh, There's a lot of variables to that, because it's not easy, right? Depending on how long a person's been with the person, right? The longer you've been with them and the less, like the longer that you've been with the person, the more uncomfortable it's going to be to open that door, because what do you mean? Twenty years later, you, you're telling me about this, right? So, it's a it's a scary door to approach. What I would what I would suggest is to find a sex worker, hire someone to talk with about, it, right? Because there's dialogue that happens that you have to make the space okay for the person to hear what you're saying. It's not even. It's like you have to lead with your own example. Right. Uh, It's, it's really, there's such a long answer to this. This is going to be a whole podcast in itself because it's, it's a process of divulging information, but not too fast. Right. But also asking probing questions without making the person uncomfortable. Right. Without an agenda. Right. Because ultimately what you want to do is you want to say, Hey, look, this is who I am. Would you hold space for me to explore right? I guess that's, I worked through that one. So yes, that's what I would say. Uh, But hiring or connecting with someone who is involved in their own journey, in their lifestyle, not someone new, not someone just getting here. Someone who's put in some years into understanding what these conversations look like. Because you have to watch out for emotional landmines, right? Because how much of a person's past do you really know as well? right? And is bringing this up going to emasculate or invalidate someone? Am I not enough? It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me, right? And how can, I would love for you to hold space for me to talk about this and not feel ashamed. There's a lot of, there's a lot of particular language in those conversations that you almost have
0: to have a dry run going through. Yeah, I mean, it's like trying to find a, a counselor
1: dude for real like if you want to do it successfully hire someone to walk you through (laughs) (laughs) masterjoshua.com
2: i was like that was a shameless plug
1: (laughs) no but because when i get people who come to me who have partners that they've not told before we work together you got to tell your partner like you have to because you're not doing your relationship justice and i'm not here to I, I learned the mistake. You're yeah. <laughs> <Like, laughs> like, not going to do it again. I'm not going to do that shit again. And it's like, it's not as scary as you think, but you it, it is it, it's a, as scary as you fucking think, 100%. But the repercussions may not be as big as you think they are, especially when you hold space and the person says, oh, my God, me too. I just didn't know I could talk about it because that's what ends up happening. Right. More often than not, they're both into something because everybody's into something you can get me anyone sit them in front of me in five minutes. I'll have the answer right it's like, it's formulas it's math. It's just the space that we're holding to create. it.
2: I would say that first piece of advice would be uh, if and when you fail, go keep on going from there because it's going to fail a few times before it works. Uh, and. Uh, the first reaction is from what I see is like, no way, never. That's not the final. <laughs> the never is not final. And you can keep on uh, moving through there because once you put the idea in that person's head, you know, let it settle in there, let it take root a little bit and then revisit it again from a less scary angle. Just a no is not uh, a no. It's a, uh we have to walk around this obstacle, uh, situation.
1: You also have to be listening right? you have to be listening for the responses and you can't be speaking with intention of getting what you want. Right. Because it, then you're just strong arming your partner. Right. Right. So it's like, you have to listen, you have to hold space for them to experience whatever range of emotions they are going to go through and understand that that's their right to feel that way. Right. So the language, the dialogue
0: around these conversations is important. It's very important. Yeah. And it feels like what you said, you know, a no is not necessarily a never. It's just, you know, in parentheses for now, because of, you know, a day, a week, sometime later, they might come back and be like, hey, how important is that to you? Like, I know we talked about it and I just kind of like shuddered and walked away because I didn't know what to do. And now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, is it? Is this something you really want?
1: Yeah. Like the other question, like, oh, here's another thing, right? Instead of the yes, no, maybe, no, I'm not into that. Yes, I'm into that. Fuck that. What I want you to think about whenever something new comes onto your table, I want you to ask yourself, how can this be enjoyable for me? Everything, right? Even needles, like getting, I hate needles. Oh, how can this be enjoyable to me? Uh, with a lollipop after." <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah. so it's like, let's find solutions as opposed to ending at the problem.
0: Yeah, and that, that could be any number of things, right? Because you're like, oh, I don't, I don't want whatever this specific thing is. Like, maybe I'd like to do that though. Like, yeah. Maybe I don't want it done to me, but maybe I'd actually like to engage in doing that.
1: Yeah, right, uh, education. Education is hugely important. Take local uh, classes, uh, research. YouTube is a great resource. What I would suggest is checking everything twice or three times from different perspectives to see what the commonalities are and figuring out those on the fringes of what you're researching. Uh, Because some people don't know what they're talking about and some people do, right? So you want to do a lot of research and experience things as the receiver because it's not same to do something to someone without understanding the emotional, the physical and the mental processes that they're having.
2: And there's another facet to this question uh, that um, if we're talking about something done in bed or some action or some uh, uh, fantasy, that's uh, one thing. But if we're talking about let's say opening up to other partners or opening up to other uh, genders. Uh, that is a different thing uh, that is, um, needs to be approached very uh, tenderly and cautiously because that is, 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 is threatening to the other person's identity. Like your partner's self-identity is gonna be, that's what my family went through. Um, it, it, while my self-identity changed, it was shattering to my husband, to his self-image and, and self-identity. And uh, I would love if other people could learn from from my mistake and not approach it uh, and approach it with maybe what Master Joshua said, uh, with knowledge, because you really need to do that with... Um, it's like you're holding a, a person's life in your hands. Your partner is going to be... It's a trauma for the partner.
1: Yeah. Opening the relationship up, uh, I would definitely suggest speaking with someone who could walk you through something like that. Because, like she said, essentially what's happening is you're some people can take it as a devaluing, right? And as I've heard how people approach their partners, like it can, it's really traumatic. And it's the way that I've heard it from some folks is it's very self serving too this is why I want to do it because this is what you're not giving me. And it's like, ah, like, let's slow that language down a little bit. What do they know? Do they know they're not giving you what they're not giving you? Right. It's like, ah, like, how did that conversation go? And then it's like, there's markers along this trail, right. If we're going to do it responsible. And, you know, to say that I'm, I'm an angel. No, that's like, we're talking about that on this side of this book being written right?
2: <laughs> we learned the thing is we learned from our experience our right we, we yeah. learned we may have learned uh by a high not it's maybe a how not to book but we still know now
1: <laughs> on this side yeah but we there were things we didn't do correctly
0: and that's the great thing is like as human beings, we can learn from other people's mistakes as well. So, you know, there's an amount of wisdom to be taken in. But it goes back, you know, to what you had said earlier, where it's like, hey, does your partner know you're doing this? And they're like, well, no, I'm ashamed of it. And you're like, maybe that's what we should be working on today is why are you ashamed of this?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've turned clients uh, like session clients, media somewhere they would come and sit with me and we'd do flogging and stuff like that. I've turned a lot of those clients into counseling clients because they didn't need my help. They didn't need my physical, physical help. They needed someone to walk them through reconciliation, uh, reconciliation with their identity and or their relationship with their partners. The
2: dildo, give it to your husband. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, man. No, it goes in the butt this way. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: that could save a marriage (laughs) (laughs) and a life life.
0: (laughs) yeah i mean i assume a lot of that has to do with like you know their own personal trauma or a self-image that they're not willing to let go of where they're like well i'm not gonna let my wife flog me because i can't be the weak one in the relationship and you're like boy there's a lot to unpack in that sentence
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 that's exactly that's exactly how it goes Yep.
0: Yeah. So if people are starting, you yeah, know, they've got their partners in on it with them, they're like, okay, we're both going to try new things. Is there kind of a good beginner friendly starting place that you recommend for people? Actually, I do. Here's another shameless
1: plug. <laughs> uh, no, we host an intensive called People Before kink. And the idea is uh, it's an introspective and spiritual journey. Uh, through the lens of BDSM, uh, through self-acceptance, right? Holding space uh, so that we can learn what that process is. It's not focused on the technical stuff. It's focused on the conversations before the technical stuff. So uh, we have uh, the intensive, we have a 48-hour version up to a five-day version, right? Different spaces have different amenities. Uh, Some of them are retreats. Some like we're having one here in New York City next weekend. That's in 48 hours, you're going to learn what we do in five days, right? It's like, but it's it's exercises of conversation and communication. There's all types of uh, public, not public education, but education out in the community. Uh, you can find them through various sources like Facebook, Eventbrite, FetLife. Uh, but read the descriptions and speak with the folks who have created the programs to see if those programs are what you're looking for. People get caught up in the technical aspect of it and more often than not skirt around the psychological aspect of it. That's heavily important, right? Because if we're going to work through the shame, we have to walk through the shame to be able to communicate the feelings that are behind it, right? And if we're not having the space held to process the shame or to come from behind it, you're not going to get as far of the stride as you can right? Because where we inhibit ourselves big time at the beginning, but it's, it's a process, right? There's no wrong way to do it. Just do your homework.
0: Yeah. Do you have any cautionary tales or like red flags that if people are looking for, for things to avoid where you're like, Oh, Hey, there's this one thing. Definitely don't do. (laughs)
1: Yeah. 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 If someone isn't willing to give you answers and treat you equally, avoid them, right? If someone comes in with titles like I'm the dominant, I don't answer questions, leave them, right? You're a person before anything else, right? Whenever you come into a space, no one is your dominant and no one is your submissive. You come in on equal footing everywhere. Uh, If you feel like you're not being seen and heard, leave, right? Put your time and and energy in somewhere else uh, because respect and consent and... Equality is huge, hugely important if you want to maximize your investment. Okay?
2: Yeah, I'd say that wraps it up. Awesome.
0: So, moving a little bit further past this, if people have decided that they want more than just their one partner, they want to add, you know, either someone for themselves or someone for both, is this all just fall under? I know there's a lot of labels out there right now that I never know which one to use. Is this just like non-monogamy or yeah. is it polyamory? Like, is there a, a crossover in there? Or is there like strictly separate things?
1: No, no. Non-monogamy would be like the umbrella, right? Okay. Everything falls under that. It's the not one-on-one. Anything else comes under that uh, to introduce people. It's, it's all different ways, right? Because BDSM isn't necessarily sexual. So let's say, the man, the husband and the wife, right? The husband that doesn't want the wife flogging him because he doesn't feel like he could do that. What if he found a guy to do it for him? Right? That is strong enough. Because maybe she's just not physically strong enough to do it the way he needs it, right? So they would introduce a third person in to take that helm of being the person to flog the husband, right? There isn't a relationship sexually there, but there is exchange and a power exchange and trust, right? So to whatever degree they would be willing to label their relationship or, or comment on it, right? One could be the top, and the other one could be the bottom for that, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of nuance in these labels, and there's various term <laughs> definitions for them depending on who you're asking, how they view that word.
2: I think uh, I I would look at. Polyamory, I, the term I would use is non-monogamy because there's many, many, uh, titles for non-monogamy. There's many different kinds of non-monogamy. There's, uh, uh, there's polyamory. There's a relationship anarchy. There's solo, uh, polyamory. There, there's many types of it. Uh, Google various types of polyamory to get a full, uh, full list basically. But, um, It's kind of like a ship leaving the dock and going to the open ocean in a way. The relationship is the ship, right? It was safe in the dock. The waters were quiet. Nothing happened. Nothing could happen and nothing ever happened. And that's kind of where many marriages just slowly sink. Polyamory is kind of like opening the the door and letting the ship out into open sea. Now there's waves and there's uh, storms and there's rocks. And it might uh, um, any it might crash the marriage or it might ruin the marriage. But you're on a journey now. You're going somewhere now. You're not just sitting in a dock and being uh, bored at the view not changing. Uh, you have a potential, a new potential now. And if a marriage can uh, can survive the pitfalls of that journey, which it can, if it knows. If it has a map, if it has a guide, it can. And if a marriage can't survive that, it can become something so much bigger than just the marriage. It can become a life journey.
0: Yeah. And there is definitely, I would assume some pitfalls. Like, I mean, even in a strictly monogamous marriage, like there is still jealousy. So opening it up to like a third partner can definitely i imagine introduce some of that
2: it's a, it's take take a marriage take the problems of the marriage and <laughs> multiply them by the amount of people you're in a polyamory with and then multiply them by 3 because each of them, <laughs> them has other things in their lives and that's about yeah. the le- the level of difficulty has risen that much but so has the reward
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's true the the, the relationship you get you get what you give right? If, uh, if you're invested and your intention is to make, to put in the best effort all the time, as best as you can, right? The, the rewards that you can reap are like astounding, right? But you pay for that. Shit. Like there's a lot of, of process, processing and relationships and individually uh, goal setting, what's important to you Peace. You know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to it but like you had mentioned earlier uh just a minute ago around the marriage right not to say every marriage is doom and gloom because they're not right i've seen plenty of folks who stayed married without opening their relationships who are able to find change and, and shifting in their relationship but that takes work right that it's not you just can't put that shit in cruise control either
0: Yeah. And it's one of those that you have to know what's right for you and what's right for your partner, because it's like, if you two are locked down, you know, like, hey, we both hate flogging. Like, (laughs) all right, maybe flogging is not the thing to introduce. And I'm using using flogging so loosely because I have almost no definition for it. But it's like, if this is not your thing, I mean, then it's not for everybody. Like you two, you don't have to do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's okay to say I'm not into that. It. It's okay to say no, like, it's okay. And it could be not right now.
0: Yeah, it, it's weird that we have, you know, we have like, I have heard the phrase like ethically non monogamous and polyamorous, and they're like, they are slowly spreading out into the culture where people are more and more aware of them. But it seems strange that we put so much stigma on what people are deciding to do in their private relationships?
1: Yeah, yeah, there was a like for, for me, for us, BDSM isn't what we do in the bedroom. Uh, but for some folks, it is right. There is a there's a conversation I was having with a local representative of the BDSM community, and they said, I don't need BDSM is about the way I fuck. And I looked at them and I was like, uh, yeah, I don't agree with it. Right. Cause it's not, it's all, it's what we're doing, what we're trying, what I'm trying to do with my life is to have meaningful connections where at the end of the day, we can say we're bigger and better from the freedom we shared with each other, right. That I can say, I am living my best life. I had someone ask me, two weeks ago, they go, Joshua, When was the the best year of your life? I said, it started 364 days ago. (laughs) Right. Because it's like, dude, now's the time to do it. Right. But you have to do it with positive intention. Everything with positive intention.
0: Yeah. And that's a lot of the mindset. You know, if you want to, I guess if people want to come in and they're like, I know I'm going to have to put a disclaimer on the episode. That's like, Hey, look, it's not all sexual. Um, because every time I do anything, any episode that is vaguely sexual, like I had a porn addiction one, the minute after I put it out and like the notification goes up, I could see my subscriber count just dip a little. And I was like, man, people are because so it's not un- all
2: sexual or because it is all sexual. They want it to be more sexual.
0: I don't know. But like it, it came out and it said like, oh, porn addiction. And immediately people were like, I don't want to be any part of this. This is how this is going to be. I'm not going to I'm not going to listen to this show. And I'm like, listen to it. It's good, beneficial information. Why do you have to like if you don't want to listen to it, don't listen to it. But that's like,
1: true, dude, that's shame. Yeah, it's like, oh, my God, they're going to make me my virgin ears.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Well, I found that people are often your, your, your question before. Why do people care so much about what other people mm. do and who they are and, and, and how, they, how they manage their personal life in, in regards to poly, right? Especially in regards to polyamory. When you define marriage by its boundaries, by its walls, it's offensive to you when another person does not respect those walls. Because you're like, these four walls represent everything I believe in and the space I live in. And and the fact that you don't respect these walls means to me that you don't respect the space within it, and I am saying, marriage is the space inside the walls, and it's not and and it's not defined by the walls, but rather by the content. I think that's where 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 the upset comes when people talk about polyamory because people are giving up so much of, of themselves and who they are and what they let, want in life to stay faithful, right? That idea of being faithful. And it's offensive when somebody else just goes ahead and doesn't do it. And they're like, but why am I sacrificing so much? Why am I, you know, giving up the best years and my best dreams just to protect a marriage when you can go ahead and, 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 and pretend like, like, like everything works. And I'm like, it, it, it doesn't, but don't define the content by the boundaries, right? If you, it's, it's the disres- there's no disrespect in polyamory. It's, that's maybe the p- part that makes people so edgy about it or so uncomfortable with it because it, it seems disrespectful to the idea of monogamy and faithfulness. Yeah. But we're doing the same thing we're doing the exact same thing we're just changing the rules of engagement to allow everybody in the picture to be happy within different rules
0: yeah and i think some of that is just like the culture that we live in has such a pressure that like monogamy is the only path because when i started looking at it you know trying to do my my due diligence and do some research i found there's like 80 countries that have some form of like legal polygamy so i'm like well that's a lot I'm like there's a lot of countries that are like no it's fine and our country's not on fire and burning to the ground all the time so <laughs> it's
2: the uh, there's there's a lot of uh each everywhere has its own issues but uh the the thinking is a little bit Speaking as an immigrant, I'm not from this country, speaking as an immigrant uh, in the US, the, the, the thinking is a lot uh, more cons- tighter, a lot less freedom to set the ideas sexually than in other places in the world, really. People who live here are not aware of that because you're born and raised here, it seems normal to you. But as an immigrant, that was like one of the first things that really puzzled me. You know, uh, Americans, they seem to be uh, (laughs) Hollywood, everything, movies, gangster. It's all it seems to be like such a alive and and carefree place in a way. And then you come and you see people are have a hard time talking about stuff that seems very uh, normal and very natural and very part of life. But um, there's rules here that they're not they don't exist uh, elsewhere, but they're not part of human nature. They're just culture.
0: No, that makes sense. Um, I know I've kept you for a while. I had some listener questions, if you don't mind, that uh, yeah. the community was like, hey, what what is this? Um, let's see. The first one, why is leather such a big part of BDSM?
1: So leather, visually like culturally, uh, it's like a symbol of rebel. Where you remember the, the motorcycle jackets and the outcast, the guys that you didn't approach because they looked all vicious and mean. It's uh, it's like a calling card for folks. If you wear leather, it's to say, I stand out from society and I'm a safe space. Uh, general, That's a general response to that. There's layers to that answer as well, uh, but it boils down to the culture where, how BDSM and the leather culture got from uh, World War II out In europe and what was going on out that way to the states
0: interesting see the next one was does bdsm leave scars
1: it can it can leave scars uh there are different types like some people are into scarification as a, a form of body release and you have people who do body modifications uh really well and do that uh you can get scars from play uh, it depends on the person's skin as well. Like if uh, some people mark easily and if they get into the sun, then it darkens the uh, the marks and the marks can last for several years, if not forever. Right? But the intention isn't necessarily to leave the scars or to leave the marks. Sometimes that's just a byproduct of what's happening. Uh, sometimes it's intentional.
0: And I think if it's something that you enjoy... I mean, I, I don't think you should feel any shame in that. Like I've got some, some scars that I'm proud of, you know, like, Oh, sometimes they're more visible than others. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's one of my scars. I'll tell you the story. It's pretty boring, but like, I'll <laughs> tell it to you. Cause it's a thing. Uh, the next question I had, we had talked a little bit about before and it sounds like bait to me. And this is that listener that asked, can I just ask my boyfriend to pour a candle wax on me from any candle around the apartment.
1: Yeah, no, no, you gotta be careful with that, right? Cause ca- uh, ca- candles, wax melts at different temperatures, right? Depending if they have fragrances, depending on uh, on how they're made, if it's beeswax or what have you. So what I would suggest is if you want to use wax, go to your local kink and fetish shop and buy candles from there. Speak with the sales folks to tell you how to use it. So you have some information firsthand from the vendor. Those candles that they sell at the fetish and sex shops are, they're there because they they don't burn as hot as, let's say, a Febreze candle, right? Because those have perfumes in them and those burn at a higher temperature. Never use commercial candles, right? Just out of safety. Do research, check online, and find out the differences for your own safety, because you could maim yourself using the wrong candle. Another thing to consider is using a crock pot as opposed to melting it with fire, right, because then you can control the temperature of the wax by melting it at a certain degree, and you keep the crock pot, you don't put the wax in the crock pot, you put the container that the wax comes in, like the glass jar mostly, in the water, and then you can test it for temperature too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it just sounds like such a specific way to ask a question where they're like, "Oh, you know, <laughs> any old candle that we just find in the apartment, I'm like someone has used the wrong candle."
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And the last question I had had me doing some uh some googling and I will say do not google image search this, but they asked is sounding as common on the internet as the internet would have us believe. Yeah, well
1: uh, I love it. I, uh, I enjoy sounding it's learn from someone who knows what they're doing, observe it before you try it. When you do practice it, practice it with someone who's done it before as a top and a bottom. If you're bottoming for it, uh, start with the larger gauges. Cause while the smaller ones look like they're going to be more pleasant because they're not so thick, they're sharp on the ends, right? So as they're going down, it could feel like it's scraping inside the urethra and you wanna avoid that. Never use headphone cables because I had someone from India reach out to me and said they cut off the jack and they use the wire. Never use that. <laughs> go to Amazon and find sounding kits. Again, you can go to your local fetish and kink shop, sex shop. If they have sounding kits there, buy it from there so that they can talk to you because you're also gonna need sterile lube. You don't wanna use lube that's already been opened uh, because you're putting this into your body. So. Uh, you don't want, you want to avoid infection. Start soft and slow. Uh, the metal ones I prefer over the silicone because the silicone gravity doesn't take them down. You have to push them down and it does it's not as painful as it sounds, but the metal ones, you can let gravity take it. And, and, and you can't lose it inside you. If you have a large cock and it goes all the way in and you can't grab it, all you have to do is stand up and it'll fall right out. So don't panic. Uh, how do I know? Because I Seen it happen before.
2: Seen. <laughs> <Scene. Scene. laughs>
1: no, it wasn't my fault. I The, when I lost it in the person, all I had to do was bend the cock down and it came back up. But I've seen people have to stand up and it come up.
2: <laughs> Did the person know? Uh, uh, you, uh, at the moment, no, it was pretty funny because they
1: were in it because it feels, <laughs> and it feels incredible, right? It feels like the first pee and orgasm, like the first pee in the morning and an orgasm combined, right? And it's like, wow, that's bananas. Just don't look at it happening because it's scary looking at it, right? Because it's like, oh, my God, this big fishing rod is down in my pee hole, right? Because <sighs> almost every male-bodied person has tried putting something in the pee hole at some point, and it was like, ouch, right? Because whatever we used was abrasive, right? <laughs> and it's like you felt the scrape, and you're like, never again, would I Try things twice under an educated and informed eye
2: and hand. Have-
0: yeah, I mean, if there is one learning lesson we are getting from the listener questions, it is go to a sex shop or a fetish shop, buy something there, do not just willy-nilly whatever you have around the house, because you'll end up with the wrong candles and headphone cables, and all of that is wrong, Uh yeah. and anyone who anyone who heard me ask the question about sounding and was like, oh, what's sounding? And then Googled it is going to see a picture of an Allen wrench because that's what I saw. (laughs) 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 Another thing, one more thing to be uh,
1: as clear and transparent about this as possible. BDSM isn't safe. There are safer ways to do this, but people die engaging in BDSM. Uh, So Be mindful of safety. Always do things as safe as you possibly can and be responsible because when shit goes bad, it goes bad fast. So be responsible. If you ever have to, if you have a doubt, if you should go to the hospital, go to the hospital, (laughs) right? Uh, Because it's while our bodies are durable and they can take a lot and it's a lot of fun and it feels great. You have to be mindful of what you're putting your body through and you have to be responsible for yourself and for your partner and your partner responsible for themselves and for you
0: yeah and as you had said earlier you know you should feel safe about what you're going into maybe nervous that might be a healthy thing (laughs) from time to time but you should still feel safe about what you're doing this should not feel like nightmarishly scary like you're going to die
1: (laughs) yeah yeah unless that's what you're looking for right because there's people uh that are into that stuff
2: too and they should Feel safe too at the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah, of it. yeah. Yeah. And about the candles, uh, if you're like me and had tried every candle on your house without going to a kink shop, because I did, uh, don't feel bad about it. And most of them were actually fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> most of them. Most,
2: Some right. of them are not. Some <laughs> of them were, I'm like, oh, it was scented.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a thought. All right. Well, I have appreciated this immensely. I wanted to give you the time to, you know, plug what you do and where people can find you and the things they can get, you know, just give you some time for that. Awesome. Thank you.
2: Uh, thank you. Well, surviving master Joshua, the BDSM memoir of an unfaithful wife by karma Sid is on Amazon and it's going to be discounted till September. You can get it at a discount price. It's also on Barnes and Noble's and Google Play, and basically everywhere else that there are books, you will find this book. And if you get it from Amazon until September, it's discounted right now.
0: Are Uh, you gonna do? Are you gonna do a? Sorry to interrupt you. yeah, are you gonna do an audiobook?
2: Yeah, the audiobook is. Thank you for reminding me. The audiobook is about to. The audiobook is ready. We're gonna upload it to uh, Audible this month. You can also find it on Audible.
1: Awesome. I, for me, you can find me at masterjoshua.com, kinkcollective.net, uh, ssdce.org, and on all social media platforms under Master Joshua NYC. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you again for doing this. It's been so great and I'm so yeah. glad I could get you in to do it.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much again.
0: Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. If you want to help the show grow, rate it five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. If you have not already, please tell a friend or family or mortal enemy to listen to the show. It helps get new listeners and helps grow the show's audience in general. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. To reach out to me, email dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or send me a message on any of the show pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. I hope you enjoyed the Thursday episode. Hopefully I'll be able to keep doing these two weeks for a long time to come. I'll see you Monday for a brand new episode. Until then, bye bye